You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning, church family. Blessings to you. Grace and peace from God our Father. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to once again uh, share God's word with you this morning. I don't take it lightly. Just every opportunity that the Lord grants, that the, the elders allow for me to come and teach uh, from God's word behind this pulpit. So thank you. Uh, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Kyle Bagwell. I'm a pastoral intern here at LifeGate Church. We've been here for about a, a year and a half, and uh, we just... Uh, Love, love this church family, and so uh, thank y'all, thank y'all church. Uh, so please open your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 3, that's Galatians chapter 3, it's where we will be this morning. Well, I would imagine that in a room this size, that we have some people who love mystery novels. As a child, I loved the thrill of putting all the pieces together to figure out who done it. Right? Who is responsible for the crime? How did they cover their tracks? And what key piece of evidence did they leave behind that showed them that they did it? That will give away the truth. Well, one commonly used plotline in mystery novels is the question of a large inheritance. Think of it. A billionaire has died. Or has he? It appears he may have slipped and bumped his head. But it also appears it may have been murder. Did his heir, who has money troubles, knock him off because he got tired of waiting for the old man to pass? Or was the heir of the fortune framed by his younger brother who wanted the entire inheritance for himself? Okay. Could you imagine how the plot line would thicken if two different wills appeared naming two different heirs of the inheritance? Right. Which will is the right will? Who is the rightful heir of the inheritance? Right. When a giant inheritance is at stake, the question of the rightful heir becomes of utmost significance. Which is why we all need Becky Jarzewski's help in uh, help it, inheritance law. So you can, if y'all need some help with your will, you can ask Becky to help you sort it through. But today, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul is going to tackle a question regarding the most important inheritance in all the world. He's going to inform us regarding the true heirs of God's heavenly trust. right? The promised eternal divine inheritance stored up in Christ Jesus for God's children. Paul is claiming to be the authoritative steward of the eternal riches of grace stored up in Christ Jesus. He has authority. Paul says that he has authority to declare who God has determined to receive the riches of God's eternal inheritance. With this in mind, 
let's review just where we are here in the book of Galatians, right? The Apostle Paul and his opponents, what are they disagreeing about? What it takes to be in right standing with God, to be righteous in God's sight. According to the Apostle Paul, whoever receives Christ by faith is the heir of God's eternal blessings. And according to Paul's legalist opponents, whoever obeys God's law by getting circumcised, they are the ones who are righteous and blessed, according to these opponents. So in chapters 1 and 2, we saw that the Apostle Paul defended his apostleship, in other words, his status as God's authoritative steward who can, who can proclaim who has the right to inheritance. At the very end of chapter 2, then, we saw that Paul gave his theological reasoning for faith alone in Christ alone, right? Faith unites us to Christ in his death and resurrection since Christ is God's true eternal heir, right? For Paul stated, what did he state in Galatians 2 verse 20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So the legalist argument that one must keep the law to be righteous undermines God's declaration that His riches shall be received by grace, as a free gift. For Paul states in verse 21 of chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right? If, if a person could receive right standing with God through the law by their own legal deeds, then Jesus didn't die. He died for no reason. He didn't need to die. What a terrible waste. Right? They could have had right standing before God without Christ. So then last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 3. When the Galatians were converted to Christ, they had received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of their eternal inheritance. They've already started receiving their eternal inheritance. Therefore, the Apostle Paul is the true steward of God and Believing the gospel really is the way of receiving this inheritance, not through works of the law. So now today, Paul, the authoritative steward of God's grace, is going to begin the body of his argument in the book of Galatians. In other words, these verses, they begin Paul's most important argument in the book. For while Paul first appealed to his apostleship, right, his authority as God's steward, and then second, he appealed to God, the, the Galatians' salvation experience, in this section, Paul is going to begin to make a direct case from the very words of God himself. The words of God in the Old Testament. Paul points us, specifically to the story of Abraham. He's going to appeal to Abraham over and over and over again in this section. And according to Old Testament Scriptures, neither Abraham nor his children 
inherit God's eternal blessings through seeking to keep the law or through circumcision, but by trusting in Christ alone for their right standing with God. Today, I pray that our faith in Christ will be strengthened as we see with the Apostle Paul that faith in Christ alone is how Abraham was saved and how his children are saved as well. Righteousness by faith in Christ alone. So let's, with that said, let's read Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be studying verses 6 through 9, but we're going to start with verse 5 so we can get the context here. Galatians 3, verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And here will be our three points that we're going to get from this text. Point one, Abraham's credit, his righteousness by faith. Point two, Abraham's children, their righteousness by faith. And point three, Abraham's gospel, our righteousness by faith. So let's go ahead and begin to look at this passage now with point one. Abraham's credit, his righteousness by faith. In verse six, we see Paul give us the condition upon which people receive God's eternal inheritance. The condition upon which Abraham was declared by God to be righteous and therefore a rightful heir of this inheritance. Look again at what Paul says in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right, so Abraham believed God. This is Point to Genesis 15, verse 6, that argue that Abraham was not right in God's sight because of circumcision or any other kind of obedience, but through his faith, his belief in God's promise. Not because of Abraham's merit, but because of God's great mercy. God counted him as righteous in his sight. Paul's view of Abraham. This, this biblical view of Abraham is radically different from the legalist's view, his opponent's view. Paul's opponents in Galatia would have viewed Abraham as a key hero, which is why Paul's going to keep on appealing to Abraham in this section. They, they would have viewed Abraham as the chief exemplar of their position, one who is righteous before God based on his 
obedience. I think it'll be helpful here this morning if we actually look at a few examples of legalist understandings of Abraham from Paul's day. This actually, these are quotes from Jewish legalists from before the time of Christ. So we're going to see them up here. For example, listen to how one ancient Jewish author described Abraham. Abraham kept the law of the Most High. And when he was tested, he proved faithful. Therefore, the Lord swore an oath to him that nations should find blessing through his descendants. Do you see how this gets it backwards? In Genesis, God made his promise or his oath to Abraham in Genesis 12 prior to any obedience on Abraham's part. Not because of Abraham's obedience. They switch it. Obedience, they think obedience came first and then the promise comes. Ain't wrong. Or listen to another pre-Christian Jewish author. For Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. And you want to say, Did, have you read the Bible? Right? Uh, right? So on this legalist understanding, God counted Abraham righteous because he was righteous. He was perfect all his days. Because Okay, we're going to get to this later, but we're going to think about how sinful Abraham was. But in their understanding, he has to be perfect. Okay. Or listen to one more. Did not Abraham prove steadfast under trial and so gain credit as a righteous man? Right? He earned it. He merited his righteousness. Right? How contrary to the Bible, the biblical text, what God has revealed in the book of Genesis. In this common legalist thinking, Abraham was counted righteous, not based on his faith alone, but based on the merit of his good works, his own self-righteousness. As we shall see, this not only does not take into account the Genesis narrative, but it stands in stark opposition to the gospel of righteousness by faith in Christ alone, which is revealed throughout the Scriptures. Let's stand back and ask for just a second. If we, if we can kind of try to think how the legalists are thinking for a second, why did Abraham's faith need to be counted to him as righteousness? When these legalists can point to, well, Abraham obeyed in many ways, right? He left his land to, to a land that he'd never seen before. He, he was circumcised when God called him to be circumcised at 80 years old. Or he offered up his own son. There's all these ways that Abraham obeyed. Okay, so, so why does he need to be counted righteous based on his faith? Well, here's the reason. He was sinful, right? He was a sinner. He was a pagan, the Bible tells us. He was a coward. He was a deceiver, a manipulator. He was an adulterer. And he was an accomplice to abuse. And if he were here, he would tell you more and more things uh, himself that he is as a sinful man. If Abraham had been judged by God based on his works, he would have been condemned like the rest of us. Praise the Lord. 
God made a way for Abraham to be counted righteous in his sight before God, and that was through the gift of faith in the coming Messiah. Okay, what I want to make two clarifications here, though. Make no mistake about it. Abraham's faith in and of itself is righteous. Okay? Don't, I don't want to hear gasps. Okay? But however, his faith was still not a work that merited right standing before God. And let me clarify how these things are true. In the gospel, though faith is righteous, for of course it's not unrighteous, right? Everything's either unrighteous or it's righteous. Of course, his faith is not unrighteous. It's not unrighteous to believe God. Our faith is still not a work that merits us righteousness or right standing with God. In other words, it's not sufficient for us to merit complete right standing before God. Rather, faith is a gracious gift of a right disposition towards God, believing Him. Believing Him is what we should do. Okay? But, it, but it's a gift that God gives us. And it's God's means of uniting us to Christ and His perfect righteousness. Right? So Paul makes clear later on in other letters in the New Testament, for example, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4 really is kind of an exposition of Galatians 3, these verses here. So if you want to read more in detail, we're going to look at more of Romans 4 this morning to help us kind of expose these passages. So let's look at Romans 4, 4 to 5. In this section, Paul defends that Abraham's faith itself was not a work, but a gift from God so that neither Abraham nor anyone can boast in themselves, but only in the Lord and His grace. So let's look at Romans 4, 4 to 5. Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. See, Paul could not be clearer. Faith itself is not a work. As he says, to the one who does not work, but believes. But believes. Faith is what God gives us because we don't have enough works and could never have enough works to be right in God's sight. Now, as we're going to see in our next point, God brought about Abraham's faith in the same way He brings about our faith, by making Abraham a promise. A promise that Abraham believes. This promise was similar to God's telling Abraham he could use God's debit card. Pretty good promise. Abraham's faith was simply his using the debit card that God had promised him, trusting that there were funds to draw upon. Right, so when you give someone your debit card, uh, think twice before you do that. Make, make sure you know what you're doing, who, who the person is. You are giving them access to the blessing of whatever funds 
are attached to the bank account. Or vice versa, if you have someone's debit card, the limit that you can cash from that card is the limit of the person's bank account. With this debit card, it's counted to you as if everything in the account attached to the card is yours. Even if you didn't earn it, or merit it, or work for it. So what account did God attach to the debit card that He gave in His promise to Abraham? What account could enable Abraham to be credited with total and complete righteousness in God's sight? To receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The riches of Jesus Christ's bank account. Which He earned with His life, His perfect life under the law, His death on the cross, His having made the payment necessary for Abraham to be forgiven and credited with all of His righteousness. We must not think of our faith in Christ as a work that merits us anything. No one thinks of using a debit card as doing work or meriting anything. Especially if it's a card connected with someone else's account received by inheritance. A free gift of inheritance. No. You simply give the clerk the debit card and they give you the car or the tractor. All the while thinking, I sure hope this account has enough funds in it. Right? In the same way, our faith in Christ does not merit us anything, but simply receives the access God promises to Christ's eternal bank account of heavenly blessings, like absolute forgiveness. Total and complete redemption by His blood. Let's move on to point two. Abraham's children, their righteousness by faith. So we saw that, that, that according to Scripture, according to God's own words, he counts Abraham as righteous. Now we're going to see that that transfers to Abraham's children as well. Read with me again in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. As we've been learning about in our series so far, Paul's legalist opponents claimed circumcision is righteousness determining. They claimed you cannot be right in God's sight without being circumcised. Likely, they pointed to Abraham, as we said earlier, in God's command. God did command Abraham to be circumcised. And He commanded all of Abraham's children, all of his sons, to be circumcised as well. So these legalists would have pointed to that. However, Paul argued that not circumcision, but Abraham's faith was his righteousness-determining characteristic. Therefore, Abraham's true children, who received the same inheritance as Abraham did, also possess faith as their genealogical righteousness-determining inheritance. 
Once again, we're going to look at Romans chapter 4 as kind of an interpretation here, as as a helpful somewhere else. Paul makes this argument. This is verses 11 and 12 in Romans chapter 4. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had already by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose, so God's purpose, was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So according to Paul, not circumcision or law-keeping determines one's justification, but faith alone in Christ alone determines one's justification. So I knew a man in his 70s, somewhere in the 70s, who had been separated from his father since birth. He, ne- he never met his father. He didn't know who his father was. In order to try to locate his long-lost dad, he took a DNA test. Can you imagine these words? The DNA test came back. They have located my father in Canada. He's 90 years old. My friend went to go meet his father for the very first time the year his father died. What, what a story of reunion. But the power of DNA, the, a daddy-determining characteristic. Right? According to Paul, righteousness by faith alone, in Christ alone, and only righteousness by faith alone in Christ alone, is sufficient as a Christian's daddy-defining characteristic. For Paul, you can determine who your dad is based on the debit card account you're drawing from. Followers of Jesus, true sons of Abraham, we join Abraham in freely drawing all of our righteousness from Christ's account and only Christ's account. Drawing from that account the eternal riches of God's grace. On the other hand, the defining characteristic of the sons of this fallen age, right, who are blinded in their sin, is that they draw all their righteousness, all their blessings from their own account. Right? On the day of judgment, we get only one account to draw from. Only one account to draw our righteousness from in the presence of a holy God. Ours or Christ. Choose yourself this day. What account do you look for? These legalists were tempting the Galatians to exchange Christ's unlimited riches of glory, riches of grace, for their own empty account of legal works. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your right standing before God? Are you trusting in your own works? 
Maybe in your baptism. Maybe that you've taken communion, haven't, haven't missed communion in years. Maybe that you've served the poor enough. You haven't, you haven't argued too much with your spouse. Or you're a relatively good parent. Are you trusting in your own works? Or are you trusting in Christ? Right? If you are trusting in Christ alone, not your works, then you are a child of Abraham. want to make another important qualification. Now, this, this qualification is one that always needs to be made when we talk about justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Though a Christian's right standing is not based on the law or determined by legal obedience, a Christian who is gifted with right standing before God will walk in good works and fulfill the spirit of the law. Remember, God gifts His children with faith, which is a righteous faith. A righteous faith that obeys, that walks in obedience to God the Father. And surprisingly, this can even involve circumcision at times, right? In Acts 16, Paul had Timothy circumcised for the sake of their gospel mission to the Jews. The question that Paul addresses in Galatians is not whether to be circumcised or to not be circumcised. That is a question of Christian freedom of conscience. A question of Christian love. The question Paul is answering in Galatians is whether our right standing before God requires any work on our behalf. And the Apostle Paul says, absolutely Not. No way. Today, to know that we are justified before God, we need to do nothing but turn from trusting in our good works and turning to trust and rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf to forgive us of all of our sins. Let's move to point three in our sermon outline. Abraham's Gospel, our righteousness by faith. Though Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus, Paul points out that the Scriptures describe Abraham as righteous and blessed based on the same condition that Paul proclaimed in his call for us to believe in the Gospel. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Read with me again verses 8 and 9 in Galatians. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Whereas Paul was appealing before to Genesis 15 to show that Paul was justified by faith alone, Paul now points to Genesis 12, the very beginning of Abraham's call, the beginning of Abraham's faith to show how God brought about 
this faith of Abraham. Let's read Genesis 12, 1-3 together to review this, to look at it, to see how God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Verse 1, Go from your country, this is God talking to Abraham, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we live 2,000 years after Jesus. Abraham lived around 2,000 years before Jesus. So we get to look backwards, right? We see in 3D, I would say even 4D virtual reality vision, through the New Testament Scriptures, and we get to see what Christ did, making a way for us to be righteous through faith in Christ. Well, God similarly gave Abraham a 2,000-year glimpse, a kind of a 2D view of Christ and what Christ would do on the cross. So you listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to to other Jews. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus Christ himself says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. So we and Abraham are both saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But here's the question. Is this statement in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, in you shall all the nations be blessed, is that really the same gospel of righteousness by faith in Christ alone? Yes, it is. And here's how we see righteousness and faith And Christ, in this statement, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Well, apart from righteousness, apart from right standing with God, there can be no true, lasting blessing. All blessing apart from right standing with God is futile. Right standing with God is the prerequisite blessing for all other true Real, substantial blessings. If we don't have right standing with God, we do not get to keep any other blessing. And we won't even remember the little tiny blessings that God granted us in His grace in this life. For the nations to be truly blessed, they must receive the same blessing Abraham received from God. The declaration of their righteousness. So that's how we see righteousness in this gospel that God proclaimed to Abraham. How do we see righteousness by faith in the declaration, in you shall all the nations be blessed? Well, 
how could all the nations be declared righteous in Abraham unless they're declared righteous by their faith? If the nations are all declared righteous by their own works, then they would not be declared righteous in Abraham, right? They would be blessed and declared righteous in themselves, not in Abraham. The only thing that can unite all the nations of the world together in Christ's righteousness in Abraham is their faith. Faith alone. I want to look one more time here at Romans 4, this time at verse 16. Romans 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, That is why the inheritance depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all His offspring. Right? Faith is the only way that all the nations can be united together in Abraham and ultimately in Christ. Okay, so we've seen how God's gospel to Abraham was a gospel of righteousness by faith, but was it a righteousness by faith in Christ, in Christ alone? As Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Again, yes, it was. What did God mean when he said, Abraham, in you all the nations shall be blessed? Well, who was it? who was in Abraham according to the biblical narrative. Isaac was in Abraham. And who was in, who was in Isaac? Jacob. And in Jacob, Judah. In Judah, Perez. In Perez, Boaz. In Boaz, Obed. In Obed, Jesse. In Jesse, King David. In David, Nathan. In Nathan, Zerubbabel. And in Zerubbabel, 18 generations later, Heli. And in Heli, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in Mary, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, in Abraham, there was a son in whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. So let me ask you something. Do you see how Paul is reading the Old Testament? Do you see how he's reading the Old Testament with the eyes of illuminated faith in Christ? Is that how you read the Old Testament? Or even better yet, do you even read the Old Testament? The Apostle Paul is appealing to it as an authority for a Christian. Pointing to Christ. Telling us how to interpret Christ and, and salvation in Christ alone. Do you read the Old Testament as preparing for and pointing to the coming of Christ? By giving types and shadows of Christ? Preparing God's people for Christ? Do you read it as God's pointing these desperately wicked people to Christ that they might receive the gift of faith and be saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? Or do you think of the Old Testament like the legalists thought of the Old Testament? 
Abraham was a righteous man and perfect in all his ways. How can I be righteous like Abraham? Let me, let me read about Abraham and see how I can be perfect like Abraham. All right, David was a righteous man. How can I live my life righteous like David was righteous? So on and so on and so on. If we read the Old Testament like that, not only will we be misreading it, but we will also miss the whole point. The one to whom the whole Old Testament scriptures are pointing to. God declared throughout the scriptures that faith in Christ is the condition He requires and that He alone provides for us to receive His righteousness in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places stored for us in Christ Jesus. Today, you have extended before you the same gospel promise that Abraham heard. In Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That means that this very day, you can be blessed in Abraham. How? The same way he was blessed. By being declared righteous through faith alone in the one who was in Abraham. Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, I ask you, I plead with you, would you put your trust in Christ? Would you attach yourself to His bank account? The perfect son of Abraham. The perfect son of David. The perfect son of Mary. So that you, with Abraham, with David, with Mary, might be credited with all the righteousness of Christ. So at the beginning, we talked about the mysteries that can accompany a great inheritance. Let us praise the Lord this morning that in Christ there is no mystery. There is no mystery regarding this greatest of all inheritances. Christ is the great eternal heir of God, and we in Him by faith are co-heirs with Him of every spiritual blessing. We can be certain that we are Christ's co-heirs. Our debit cards in hand, look into Christ, look into Christ, for peace, for joy, for hope in the midst of the greatest of trials, the greatest of sufferings, for perseverance in the greatest of trials. We, we draw from His bank account. We draw from Him. Lord, help us. Give us Your peace. Give us Your love. Increase my faith. Give us Your wisdom, Lord. He's ready. He's ready to deposit. He's ready. To, he's ready. To let those funds flow. Let's ask, let's ask Him this morning, if we believe that we've been united to Christ by faith and not by our works, then we have confident access to receive grace in God's presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we love you. Oh, we love you, great God. Thank you. Thank you in Christ. We have a great heavenly reward, Lord, that you pour out your blessings upon us through Christ, not by our works, not by our good deeds, but because we believe. 
Because we believe in the greater son of Abraham, the son of David, the one who came to take away our sins and to give us all of his righteousness, all of his good works, that we might reign with him forever and ever. We bless you and we praise you. Comfort us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.